Now we get to kick off uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, and just a quick recap to bring you up to speed in case you forgot. Uh, We're going through the book of Ephesians, and it is beautiful. Paul is writing uh, from a prison cell. It's phenomenal. He's sitting chained to a Roman guard, imprisoned for, for preaching the gospel, and he's writing to the church or the church is. He's writing all kinds of books. He wrote most of the New Testament, uh, and a lot of those were from prison. And, uh, and so as we examine the scriptures, we see very quickly who we are in Christ. That is uh, what his target is, is to let us know that in Christ we have spiritual blessings and identities, and, and there are things that God has done for us before even the foundations of the world were laid. It says that you were chosen by God that you were adopted and redeemed. And it's this beautiful story as we lead up to, to chapter 2 and 3. It's of, of reconciliation, of how we, la- we learned the last couple of weeks how God is reconciling us. That means He's drawing us in. It's important, it's important for us to know that we didn't just all of a sudden come to our senses and choose God, but that He chose us. And you didn't just find God. No, no, He found you and He's been drawing you. From creation, since you were born, he's been drawing you in. And we talked about last week how we're simply just stop going against the current. We're just going to submit to what God's doing. And he draws us into this relationship with him. And we're seeing this beautiful picture of reconciliation, not only among us and God, but among other people, among how, how diverse we are. And we learned about the Jews and the Gentiles and how there's such hostility there. But that Jesus, when he died, he broke down that wall of hostility and he created a new race, a new bloodline that in Christ we can get along, that though we might be divided or disagree about certain different things, we can gather in the name of Jesus Christ because what is, we, we are dedicated to what's greater than what divides us, and that is Christ and, and preaching the gospel and, and becoming the church. And this is beautiful mystery that Paul talks about the church. You see, the church wasn't a thing before, before Jesus went to heaven and the Holy Spirit came. They were just doing religious things in the temples through the Jews. That wasn't church. The church, the ecclesia, was a group of people, a diverse body coming together. And that we see this unravel uh, in the book of Acts. But then Paul tells us how, how he was a minister of that. It was his job to go and, and to preach to the Gentiles so that they can be a part of what God's doing. It's a beautiful thing. And as we get to... Ephesians chapter 3, we see Paul, he, he starts to pray. And he uses a phrase that he uses elsewhere throughout his writings. He says, for this reason I, Paul, and he'll go into, I give thanks to the Father, or I bow my knee before him. And he goes into this prayer. And if you would look in your Bibles at, at the first verse of Ephesians chapter 3, you'll see that he starts a thought, and then there's a big dash in your Bible. Like he's, for this reason I, Paul, and then it's like a dash. And this is a totally different thought. And so Paul essentially has like an ADD moment where he just loses his train of thought and he goes into kind of talking about what he already talked about in, in chapter 2. It's like he just has to reiterate some things. He's like, i got to make sure that they get this, that they don't miss this. This is huge. And so he, he talks a little bit about who he is and his assignment by God and how he was called to the Gentiles and, and, uh, and he was made a minister of this gospel to reveal this, this mystery of the church. And so he spends about uh, verse 2 through 12 talking about this. And then he jumps back 
and into his prayer that he's going to pray. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look past his ADHD moment, and we're going to look at the prayer, his original thought. And it's a beautiful prayer. It's actually the second prayer already in the book of Ephesians. He'll pray another prayer that we'll read about. But this is chapter 3, and he's already praying again for the second time. And it is a beautiful prayer, probably the best prayer in the Bible. I love it so much. Um, and it, it just gives us great insight and into not only Paul's heart, but his heart for the church and what the church should be praying for and who we should be praying about. And so we're going to examine the scriptures today uh, looking at his prayer. And so if you'll find your place in Ephesians chapter 3, and I hope you brought your Bibles with you today. I'm encouraging you guys to bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have those. Uh, They are on those uh, bistro tables along the side walls. We have Bibles. If you need one, go grab one or wave at somebody. They'll go grab it for you. Um, bring your Bible. We would love for you to, to have it, mark it up. Uh, but if you have your place in Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 14. And once you got your place, would you stand to your feet? We're going to read the word on our feet today just as a way to honor God and his word. And as always, you can look on the screen behind me. If you're on your feet and you've got your place, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and you're ready to read, say, let's go. All right, this is Paul. He says, for this reason, because of the Jews and the Gentiles, reconciliation, for this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Then verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than, uh, than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Can we pray before we're seated? Father, God, we just read something that's life-giving, that's active. It is your very word, and your word is clear that it will not return void. So, God, we have spoke your word, and God, we're just asking, God, that it would pierce our hearts in such a transformative way. God, that it would draw us into you, God that it would make us and mold us, change us, Lord. Bring correction, bring encouragement, bring that would, what you need for, that we need from this word, God. And so we open our hearts before you. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, you can be seated today. As you're seated, I want to talk around this subject today is the title, When Everything in My Power Isn't Enough. When everything in my power, right, isn't enough. I don't know about you, but maybe you've used that statement or operated by that principle that I'm going to do everything in my power to, and you name it, right? I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that that doesn't happen. Or I'm going to do everything in my power to do this. Or or maybe you look at um, uh, your life and the things that you have and the things that you've built and all your possessions and favor, and you're like, well, I did that in my power. I did, that was me. I did that. because of of my talents and my abilities. And and it doesn't take long for us to realize in life that anything meaningful, anything worth having, is not accomplished with our power. Like if I I do everything in my power to be a good husband, I'm going to fail. 
If I do everything in my power to be a good Christian, I'm going to fail. If I do everything in my power to, to be a good parent, I'm going to fail. Every time we look at this and try to do it in our power, we will fail. And so what do we do when everything in our power isn't enough? We fall short and we fail again. And God, I, I, I had this addiction. And God, I had this struggle. And God, I had this problem in my marriage. And, and I had this problem with my kids. And I'm trying everything in my power. But God, it's not enough. What, what do I do? Well, Paul, he gives us great insight to where power comes from. He gives us great insight for the church. Remember, he is praying to the church. He's praying to the saints. He's, he's, praying to, he's saying, this is for you. He's praying to God for them. Right? And so this is about us today. This is about us, the church. And, and he's praying that God would give them strength, give them power. So let's discover today what it means to have power. Let's discover today what's the source of my strength. Where does that come from? Because if I'm being honest, I fall short every single time. If I'm being honest, I don't have the strength to live out the life that God's called me to live. I don't have the strength to be the Christian or the husband or the father. I don't have that strength, God. So what do I do? Well, Paul, as we look at his prayer, gives us great insight to this. Paul's prayer is radically different than most prayers that I pray. Just, just being real. He doesn't mention things that maybe you or I would mention. He's not mentioning health or possessions or, or blessings or favor or, or good marriage. He's not mentioning those things. I think we should notice from the jump a key element to Paul's prayer is that he's focusing on the spiritual rather than the natural. That he's focusing on the spiritual things of God, the spiritual concepts of God, because God is a spirit and we are spiritual people. And, and to be the church and to be Christian is by faith. And by faith is not a tangible thing. It's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. And so as Paul uh, prays, he's focusing not on the material things, but on the spiritual things. And he's, he's essentially praying a principle that, that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6. He said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, which is spiritual, then all these things will be added to you, these natural things, this, what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and, and your job and all that kind of stuff. And so Paul is letting us know that, yeah, you're going to wipe yourself out every time you go to pray and you're praying a natural prayer. You're praying for natural things when the problem is spiritual. It's a spiritual thing. So Paul is just zooming in, getting below the surface to, to show us that the things that we encounter in life are not natural problems. They're spiritual problems. And if we try to treat the spiritual with natural, we will fail every single time. And so he's getting below the surface today. And so we see here that Paul is telling us, he's praying to God that the church, that people would have a spiritual power. And, and this is such heavy on Paul's heart that it's not an ordinary prayer for him. He, just not, he doesn't just say, for this reason, I, Paul, I go to God on your behalf. No, no, no. He says, I bow my knees to God. It's a pleading prayer. 
It's a, God, you've got to move in this situation. It's a, God, you've got to let them know that their power that they have isn't from them, that the power that they need doesn't come from man, but it comes from God, and that they need this. Because remember the setting of Ephesians. The setting of Ephesians is that the the church is being shadowed by a big temple, one of the seven wonders of the world. It's the the temple to Diana or Artemis, whichever uh, language it is. And so it is the temple to Artemis, this pagan god, and that is what is shadowing the church, this, this pagan rituals and occult practices and all these things that are going on. And they're struggling and persecution is at their door and it's closing in on them. And Paul is saying that they are going to be strengthened with power that they need to be the church, to be light in the darkness, to not bow down, not to bow out, not to give in. They're going to need something beyond themselves, that they're not going to be able to do it by themselves. And so he's, he's bowing before the Lord. He's going before the Lord on the, on the needs of the church and he's begging God And he says that you would grant them, that you would just give this to them. I don't know about you, but I I pray for God to give me a lot of things. God, would you give me favor and and blessings and a good marriage? And and God, would you give me these things? But but after reading Paul's prayer, I realized that maybe I'm praying for the wrong things. Maybe that's just a byproduct of a bigger thing. That, that maybe that I don't need to get so consumed about me that I'm not the main character of this book. You see, it's so easy, church. It's so easy for us to, to cherry-pick scriptures, to read certain verses, and put myself as the main character, as if in David and, David and Goliath, I'm David. You know, no, if I'm being honest, I'm not David. I'm the, the weak, trembling little boys off to the side that were too scared to face Goliath. If I'm being truthful in this, I'm not Peter that's walking on water. No, I'm the one in the boat that wasn't, didn't have enough faith to get out of the boat. And so we're not the main character in this book. It's Jesus. Jesus is the point. He is the climax of it all. And Paul is praying that we would know and be strengthened more by Jesus. That we would be able to comprehend the love that God has for us through Jesus Christ. And so we see here that that if we, the church, are going to be the church, if we're going to act as if we are adopted, that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, that God has reconciled you back to Him, if we're going to act as if we once were spiritually dead and now we're alive, then not only does our actions have to change, not only does our lifestyle have to change, but our prayers have to change as well. We have to pray with, with such a position that we're not focused on me, myself, and I and what's going on here but that we're praying for something deeper, that God would move in here, that he would do a mighty work inside of me. And so Paul, he draws attention to this as he prays. And let's just kind of break it down as we circle back to verse 16. This is what he prays. He says that according to the riches of his glory, God's glory, that God may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, in your inner being, you see the progression here, that, that you, you need strength, you need power, it comes through the Spirit, and that Spirit's in your inner being, it's dwelling in you, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, the Spirit of Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. And so we see that he's drooling down, giving us kind of the progression here, that this is how this works, that if you want power, power is not found outside of yourself, 
It doesn't matter how much success you have or possessions you have or authority that you have. Those things don't give you true power. That that power that you need, that you, you would be strengthened with, comes from within. And I don't know about you, but when I look at my life and my abilities and what's inside of me, like there's nothing there. I'm nothing but filthy rags and brokenness and falling short every single time. But as a follower of Christ, who dwells in me? It's the spirit of the living God. The Bible says that greater is that spirit that's in me than anything that's in the world, that God wants that. He wants to dwell inside of us today. And so I think a key element for us to realize today is who's dwelling in you. That if you're a follower of Christ, if you submitted yourself to the Lord, if you've given over to His Lordship and you're following His ways, He gives you His Spirit. No other religion comes close to that. All other religions, their God is dead. But Paul is praying to a, an alive God. A God that's so intimate and personal that He dwells inside of His creation. And so Paul, he's praying that they would be filled with power, strengthened from the Holy Spirit that lives in their inner being. You see, Paul knew for the church to stand strong, to, to have the power to walk out this Christian life, to, to not give in, to, to remain strong and faithful, that they would need this power. A power that only comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And so Paul says, give it to them, God. Would you allow them to have it? Would you allow them, Lord, to have this free gift? I want us to, to notice that. See, this, this gift that we're talking about, this power of the Holy Spirit, it is indeed a gift that we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it, just like with our salvation. We didn't earn our salvation. It's by grace that you've been saved. We just read that in Ephesians. And I, I like to make this clear, this clear because especially in charismatic or Pentecostal circles, you can look at those circles and think, well, man, you've got to earn this. Well, you've got to achieve this, or you've got to do the X, Y, Z in order to get this. But Paul says, God, give it to him. It's a free gift that you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. And so that brings us to our point here that spiritual strength is given and physical strength is earned. Spiritual strength is given. Physical strength is is earned. You know, we can do a lot to get strong. There's not a shortage of workout plans. There's not a shortage of meal prep plans. There's not a shortage of things that we can do to condition our physical bodies and to get strong. Now, I know a lot of you are really more disciplined than I myself, and, and you're committed to this and committed to getting stronger and, and working out. But this gift that we're talking about here of being strong is not earned, it's given. God freely gives it to us. And Paul realizes that, that it's a free gift. And he's praying that we would be given that, that strength. And so I don't have to put in the work or the dedication to get this. It's already inside of me. And I think as Christians, we forget what's already been given to us. The authority that's been given to us. The power that's been given to us. And so we've got to sing songs like the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Because you feel like you're dead. You feel like you're, I'm just a Christian dying, waiting to go to heaven. And then, and then it's going to be glorious. And then I'm going to have strength. And then I'm going to be a new creation. But what about right now? Why would God give you his spirit right now? Why would he 
manifest himself in such a personal and intimate way right now? It's because he wants you to have power and authority and victory right now. That we don't have to wait to get to heaven. That we have a mission to do today. Right now, that there's a world that he wants us to be a light to. That there's a people that he wants to go and, and then be reconciled to himself and to each other. And so we see this, that the Holy Spirit is a place of power. Turn to, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 t- tells us about this power. Luke 24 verse 49 says this. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's Jesus speaking there, Luke 24. He said that you're going to be clothed with it. You're going to wear this power. That is something that God wants to give you. You don't have to turn here, but Acts 1.8. Popular passage. says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so as a follower of Christ, we see that we have power. We see that God gives us this. So why is it that we walk through life so defeated? Why is it that we feel so powerless? Why is it that we feel like that I can't, I can't win for losing, right? I, why is it that I feel like my marriage continually falls apart or that I struggle with an addiction or that my kids are wandering from their house? Why, why is it? that all this is going on? Why is it do I feel like the, the demonic attacks on my family are getting stronger and stronger and I'm not able to fight it off? Why is it? Well, I would venture to say today that we don't realize the power that we've been given. You see, just as salvation is given to us, we have to access it. When Jesus died, we weren't magically all saved. Even though salvation is a free gift from God that we cannot earn, that we do not deserve, you still have to unwrap that gift, right? You still have to access that gift. It's the same thing with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, is that you have to realize who dwells in you and occupies you, and you have to walk in that by faith. You have to walk that life out. And so we see that that this weapon that we've been given, if you will, is not the power that the world desires. It's not the power that the, that the world is craving for. It's something greater than that. It's a greater weapon. And so in your notes, you'll see that the spiritual power that we're talking about is a greater weapon than physical power. We must understand and realize that today, that physical power is not everything. That though the world would seek for that control and seek after that ability to rule over people, they're looking at their own strength to do so. But Paul is showing us that the real power and the real strength comes from God, the Holy Spirit living in us. And so today as a church, as Christians, we might physically be able to lift a burden off of somebody in dire need. If I'm trapped under something, there's some guys in the church that I know can lift that burden off of me. But can you lift a spiritual burden off of somebody? You might be able to physically pick me up and take me out of this room, but can you spiritually cast out a demon? If there's, a, if, if there's something attacking your body, can you go to God and fight, fight in the spiritual realm to push back against sickness and, and cancer and anxiety? How is your spiritual man? That's what Paul's praying. He's praying that they would be strong in the Holy Spirit because this, what we're doing, church, is not natural. 
It's not in our flesh. We can't do it in our flesh. If we do, we will fail. And so often, if we're being honest, when we do this right here, we gather for church, it's very easy to do it in our flesh. It's very easy to sing songs. It's very easy to just talk and give a good speech. It's very easy to go and to wave and to serve a burrito or hold a child. We can do that in our flesh. But God's not calling us to just do that in our flesh, to do that on our own ability, because our own ability doesn't break chains of addiction. Our own ability doesn't bring salvation. It doesn't bring restoration. It doesn't heal and restore. That church, we must gather together with with enough faith to believe that God is going to do something supernatural. That it doesn't just happen by ourselves. And that's what Paul's doing. He's He's praying that the church would be a supernatural church, a spiritual church that's not just operating in the flesh, but operating in the spirit. And I just really believe that we're in a time right now that we live in a time in the world where, where there's a dividing line against churches that they operate in the flesh and they operate in the spirit. As sad as it is, people right now are leaving churches in masses because they're dried up and they're dead and they're trying to do church in the physical realm aside from the power of the Holy Spirit. And people are right now searching, looking, for a place where God's Spirit is moving and is powerful. And, and, and what if we're the place? What if this is the place that God wants to move and to do something through His people? We're not better than anybody else. As a matter of fact, we're probably worse than everybody else. That's why we need God, because we can't do this on our own. And so may we be that church, that we be so strong of the Holy Spirit, that we be full of faith, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. That's what Paul prayed, that Christ would dwell in their hearts. And as you read that, you might think, well, he's talking to believers. He's talking to the church. So why would Paul pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts? Did they not receive Christ? Is Christ not living in their hearts? Well, yes, the Bible's clear elsewhere in John that, that he is. What Paul's talking about when he says dwell is that he is overtaking, he's inhabiting, he is dwelling in that. It's the same language that we read when we're talking about being full of the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Christ is inhabiting us. He's overtaking us. And there's other scriptures that tell us about this. It says in Galatians uh, chapter 2, you can write that reference down. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, here it is, I live by faith. By faith in the Son of God, that's Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we must understand that it is by faith that we're walking this out, that we're a spiritual church, a spiritual being, that when we come together and what we're doing is not natural, that is supernatural. And many, many people would say, well, man, that's going to scare some people off. All the unchurched, they're not going to feel comfortable here. That's so far from the truth because the unchurched, people that don't worship God, are more in tune with the supernatural than we are. That they understand that they're supernatural, that they're spirits and powers, and that's why they're seeking that. That's why they're messing around with tarot cards and, and crystals and, and Ouija boards and horoscopes because they're seeking after that. And they're, they're getting so, the, the, the devil doesn't create any of that. He perverts it. And so he's perverted it, and they're just missing the truth. And they can come in this house, and they can find the truth. 
that the supernatural is real. It's not weird that God wants to inhabit and dwell inside of you. And he wants to give you power and authority that you can pray for the sick and they'll be healed. That he'll give you wisdom and discernment inside of you. That, that there's no demon in hell that stands a chance against a spirit-filled believer that's walking in power. You can have that. And that's what Paul's praying. And I've got to hurry. Verse 17. He prays a lot of other things. Let's see, let's see here. He says uh, that you will be rooted and grounded in love. That's Paul's prayer. That you be rooted and grounded in love. That you may have strength. There's that strength again. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. So rooted and grounded. I want us to get a picture. This is Paul painting a picture in the heads and the minds of the readers. When he uses words like rooted and grounded, these are very um, uh, architectural or agricultural terms. Like he's saying grounded or rooted. Rooted would think of a tree. Okay? Think of a tree. And, and that tree, when that seed is planted in the dirt, before it can grow up, it has to grow down. It has to be rooted. Right? It has to have a root system. And so what Paul is saying is that when it comes to the love of God, the love of Christ, that you would be rooted in that. That his, that his love would run so deep inside of you, below the surface, below the surface, that it runs so deep inside of you that you would be rooted in that. And as we know, those trees that have strong roots, though things come against them, persecution comes. As we sung earlier, the rains will come, the winds will come. When you have a rooted system of grounded in Jesus Christ, then you can withstand anything that the world comes at you. That you don't forsake the love of Christ because you're grounded. You're rooted in that. And so he's drawing this picture when he uses the word rooted like a tree. And so the deeper that those roots go, the deeper the love of Christ goes in your life, then the taller the tree grows and flourishes and matures and, and not just a little baby shoot or, or just a little baby tree with a couple of branches. No, no, you're full. You're a mature believer in Christ and you're producing fruit. That's what he's talking about. And then he goes on to say grounded. That is a, a, a building term, like we're building something. And it's a foundation. That's what that means, that you're grounded. You have a foundation. Well, if you've ever built a house or seen a house built, when you set a foundation, it can't go any deeper. It can't grow any taller, right? You can only expand that foundation, the breadth, the length of that foundation. And so what Paul's saying is that when you lay a foundation, though, though it's not like a tree that can go deeper, it can expand. And so that means that as every season of life, every walk of life, every foot that I, that every step that I take, I can place it on a solid rock, a solid foundation. So that, that's the love of Christ when it gets inside of you and you're rooted and grounded with that. Paul's saying this, he said, no matter what season of life you go through, no matter if everything in the world around you is sinking sand, no matter if everybody else has fallen off, every step, every foundation that you put your foot on will be a solid rock because it's founded and grounded on Jesus Christ. And that's good news today, that, that no, matter no matter what happens in the world, it's okay, we stand on the solid rock, it does not fail me. And that solid rock is not just for me. That firm foundation is not just for me, but I can rescue those people. I can pull them up out of that muck and mire that we talked about. I can pull them up out of that sinking sand and place them on that firm foundation and let them know that they have a foundation as well. And it's in Jesus Christ. So that's the imagery that Paul's painting. And, the, and the, just the gist of it, you see the point there. I'll give you some blanks. Christ's love first works in you 
and then shines through you. When he's talking about the, the roots, it's got to get in you. It's got to get in you. And this is the dividing line, church. This is where this changes from, from religion to relationship, right here. That Christ's love, his love for us, has to move from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. I think that's your next blank. That it has to move from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. And it's got to get in you today. And if we're being honest, there's a lot of Christians that know God up here, but don't let them in down here. There's a lot of churches that know God up here, but don't let him in down here. And for us to be the church, the ecclesia, Jews and Gentiles, uh, black and white, and for us to be together and reconcile to one another and be the church that Jesus died for, we've got to let him in here. In the pain, in the embarrassment, in the shame, in the inadequacies, we've got to let him take root in our heart. And then he will shine through you. You know, we want to be used by God. We want, we, want, we want God to move mightily in our life. And, and I, I, mean, I want to be a, a pillar for, the, for God. I, I want God to use me to re, re, reach my family and my, my co-workers. And my, every, I want God to use me. But we never let him in into our hearts. And that's what Paul's praying for the church, that they would let him in. That they would know the love, the unimaginable, unknowable love. Look with me real quick in verse 19. He says that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Like, does that even make sense? That I can know something that is unknowable? That I can know something that surpasses knowledge? What is he saying? He's saying it's not an informational love. It's an experiential love. That I experience this love. That I don't just know about it but I've experienced it. I've seen what he's done in my life. I felt his love. His spirit dwells in me and that changes me. And then I can know the love of God. I can know what he has for me. And as I close, I, I, I want us to, like Paul's painting a picture, I want us to, to imagine this. We talk about the love of Christ. We talk about his spirit dwelling in us. We talk about how we can be full of power. And we can know the love of Jesus. But if we're being honest, so often we look at our life and we say, God, how is that possible? God, how can I fully comprehend your love? God, I have so many issues, so many mistakes, so much sin that I struggle with. God, I have so many failures in my past, and I already know that my, my future is full of failures as well. God, I, I'm going to fall short. How, God, how in the world... Can I ever know the height and the depth and the, the breadth and the length of your love? God, how could I ever have the Spirit of God dwelling in me and empowering me? God, is it even possible for this to happen? And I believe that Paul knew that the church, they would look at this and they would say, that is not possible. There's no way. There's no way that God could use me. There's no way that God could reconcile us together. There's no way that God would, would ever empower me to stand strong in the face of the culture, in the face of the world, when the pressures of this life are coming against me. There's no way that I'll be able to be rooted and grounded in such a way that I don't bend and bow down and I don't break in all this pressure. And Paul, as he wrote, chained to a, a prison guard, looking at his situation, thinking, man, this might be it. They're killing folks, and I'm next in line. And Paul wrote verse 20 to you, to me. 
to the people that look at their life and feel like it's all over, that there is no way. There is no way. God could never do this. And Paul wrote these words in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able. Now to him who is able. Now to him. Now to Jesus who is able. Church, there's only one who is able. There's only one who is able. As you look at your life, you'll never be good enough. As you look at your life, you'll never measure up to the standard. As you look at your life, you'll never have enough power. But to him who is able, he will do exceedingly abundantly more than we ever ask or think. According to what? The power that's at work in you. The power that's at work in you. That there is a power at work in you. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit that is being strengthened inside of you will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever ask, think, or imagine. Why? Because my power is never enough. My strength is never enough. And so what do we do? We come to the Lord and we submit. And we say, Father, not my will, but your will. God, I am submitting myself to you. I can't do this on my own. I make you Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. I'm turning from my, the ways of this world and my past, and I'm walking out, empowered with the Holy Spirit, the life that you have set before me. And it's that church, it's that Christian that is being moved and used by God that will stand strong in the face of adversity, that will be rooted and grounded in love. And then you will know the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of the love of Christ. And so church, can we bow our heads in this moment as people today begin to surrender to the one who is able. We move now into a time of reflection. Well, we're simply reflecting on what God is speaking to us. For some of us in the room, we're going to join the, the 10 people last week that surrendered to the Lord. Today's the day. As you look at your life and you say, God, I can't do this. I need something beyond myself. And I realize that I'm in this moment, in this place, not by accident, but that you've drawn me here. And the sole purpose is so that I can experience your love, that I can know your love. And Father, I want that to live inside of me. I want your presence to come and to live inside of me today. And so God, I surrender to you. I confess to you that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I repent. That means I turn. I just turn from those evil ways, those wicked ways, the worldly ways, God. I turn to you. You are the answer. You are the solid rock. You are the firm foundation on which I stand. And so, Father, I turn to you today in my brokenness, my loneliness. I turn to the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ever ask, think, or imagine. And so in this moment, as you're reflecting and your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, You're in this house today and your next step is to give your life to Jesus, to submit to him, to surrender to him. If that's you, we have been praying for you, preparing for you. We we don't embarrass you in any kind of way. We want to include you in on a prayer. We're all going to pray together and celebrate together. Our, our, Our prayer team is going to have resources for you. In just a moment, we're going to move into a response time where 
people respond for, for prayer needs that they have, and you can respond as well. You can go to our prayer team and, and pray with them. But if you're in this house today, I can't let you leave the same way you came in. If you're in this house today, and if you're being honest with yourself, you say, I'm far from God. I don't feel Him. You say, He, lives in, he can live inside of me. I'm so far from Him. You say, I can pray to Him, that He'll talk to me. I, I'm not, I don't hear His voice. You say that He's in love with me. I thought He was mad at me. You're in this room today, and you can't explain it. You don't know what's going on right now, but you feel something stirring on the inside of you. That is the reconciliation of the, of the God, of, of the Holy Spirit. He's pulling you in right now. He's drawing you into a relationship with Him, and that's you. And you're saying yes to Jesus today. You're giving your life to Him. Would you just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm giving my life to Christ. I see your hands. Anybody else? That's me today. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I see your hand. Anybody else? Today's my day. The day I surrender to the Lord. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand, bud. Yep, you too. Come on, anybody else? Today's my day. You can put them down. All over this house, we're going to stand and we're going to pray together for those people that raised their hand. We're going to pray that they'd be strengthened like Paul prayed. Strengthened with power in their inner being from the Holy Spirit. That they'd be rooted and grounded in love. That they may know the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of Christ's love that, that surpasses all understanding. And in just a moment, we're going to move into a response time. Our prayer team, even now, is making their way to these side walls. And they're over there ready to pray with you. They've been interceding this whole service, praying for you, calling you out, going to God on your behalf. And maybe you're in this house today and you have a physical need. You need healing in your body. Maybe it's a mental need, an emotional need. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's a mountain that you're believing God to break through. And you need somebody to pray with you to intercede, to go to God on your behalf, to hold your hand and go boldly to the throne. That's why these people are here, to pray with you. And so let's pray together and then we're going to go into a response time of worship and prayer. And so Father, we thank you right now for your word. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in this house. We thank you, Lord, that we're not operating now in the natural man, the fleshly man, but we're operating in the spirit by faith, God, believing that you are who you say you are. And so, Father, right now, we increase our level of faith, our level of expectancy, see, God, that you can save the sinner that's so broken and so far off, that you can make this person who's so broken into something so beautiful, that they can be a new creation in Christ. God, we're believing today that they're leaving the old man behind and they're becoming a new creation in him, walking, clothing themselves in Christ today, walking in faith. We're believing that, Father. We're believing for those people who have sickness in their body, that, Lord, we can speak to sickness and it has to leave. God, that we can curse cancer in the name of Jesus and it has to leave bodies. That you can bring energy and refreshing, God. That you can realign bones and ligaments, God. That you can shrink tumors, God. God, that you can do that today. That you can restore marriages today. God, that, that wayward sons and daughters who have drifted from the faith will come home today. God, that you can bring reconciliation in families today. And God, we thank you for that, God. That you right now are going to move by faith in the supernatural and do things that we cannot do. And so, Father, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to you and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come. Come in this house today. 
Lead us and guide us, Father. Move in such a powerful way that you get all the glory. Now to him who is able, you get all the glory. You, Father, get the glory in the church today. And Father, we worship you and we honor you. We love you, Holy Spirit. And we thank you for what you're doing in this place. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church, if you believe that, can you say amen?